Hello and welcome back to the webinar Wednesday with the National Hemp Growers Cooperative. This is Nick Walters and we are tickled slept to death to have yet another awesome guest in, uh, with us today as we are doing our, our webinar. And it is none other than Eric Herlock, who is with Lancaster Farming and has a tremendous podcast that you should all listen to because we listen to it and we love it. And it's got great info and great intel. And uh, he's calling us and coming in live from parts unknown in uh, Pennsylvania. So, um, Eric, welcome. We're glad you're here. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to be here. Um, I am in southeastern Pennsylvania, uh, just about maybe 30 miles east of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Gotcha. And that's yeah. the Amish country, isn't it? Uh, Lancaster County is sort of the epicenter of the Amish and the Mennonites. Uh, we call them the plain, the plain right. community. Yep. Right. Yeah. So I'm a little bit east of there, uh, sort of halfway between Philadelphia and Lancaster. But you get good stuff to eat, don't you? Uh -huh. There's some food there. here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. some food there. <laughs> I never, I never go, have gone to a place <clears throat> where uh, where folks in the Mennonite community aren't cooking. But they're not opening the doors for some good bread and some good cheese and some good uh, meals. And I and rarely pass one of them that I don't go in. We have some small ones here in Mississippi, uh, but one of them's got a bakery. And if yeah. you're out there by about 1030 in the morning, you can forget it for the rest of the day. It's yeah, donuts cooked in lard. That's a whole different ballgame, right? That's, you know, I'm all for it. You know, I didn't build this body I've got by not eating stuff like that, right? I mean, so that ends up making a... <laughs> Make it a difference. So, <clears throat> so um, Eric, tell us a little bit uh, about your background because one of the things that we think is cool about the hemp industry is how many folks are in it that have not come, <clears throat> excuse me, from generations of, of farming, right? That have been doing it for years and years in production agriculture. And and I know even though you've been around some of that space, you you certainly have a different skill set. So tell us a little bit more about the, the Eric story. Yeah, sure. Well, um, I can't say for certain that my family wasn't farmers a long time ago. There's a story in my family that I guess it was my grandfather's grandfather had an accident with a pitchfork and we got out of farming after that. I don't know the full details. Everyone's dead. Uh, but yeah, I, I have had what I'd like to call a you know, loosely related series of odd jobs over the course of what most people would call a career. Um, but I've done all sorts of things out of college. I uh, I worked for a dot-com. I was part of the dot-com boom up in Boston and also rode out the, the bust. I taught computers at a middle school for a bunch of years. Uh, I apprenticed as an electrician and I worked in the family trade for a few years. I installed solar panels on roofs. Um, and then about maybe 11 years ago, I found myself as the uh, online editor at Organic Gardening Magazine, right? It's an historic magazine uh, that was published by the Rodale, uh, Rodale Publishing. Um, and so I ran the websites there. Uh, and I've always had an interest in, in gardening and farming. And, you know, I'm curious where food comes from and all sorts of things like that. Um, in 2015, I became the digital editor at Lancaster Farming Newspaper which is um, the oldest agricultural newspaper in the Northeast. Uh, we're centered in, in Lancaster County, but we serve farmers up and down the, uh, the East Coast. Um, been doing that since 1955. So it's, 
it's the it's the newspaper that the farmers read. You know, it's it's not only got uh, you know editorial stories and you know information that farmers can use, but it's also loaded up with advertisements. You know, you can buy all sorts of different implements and things there. So farmers love it. It's this big fat newspaper comes out once a week. So uh, I've been there since 2015, and I had always been you know interested in hemp. I, I read a book. Uh, sometime in the early 90s, you know, the, the book that everyone read, the, uh, the Emperor Wears No Clothes, the Jack Herrer book. And so that sort of planted those seeds in my mind about the, uh, the usefulness of this crop and sort of the absurdity that it was illegal and had been illegal for so long. Um, but, you know, working for the newspaper and, you know, you hear rumblings about the farm mill. This is back in, in, uh, in 2017, you know, things... Sure. Hemp had been, you know, legalized for uh, research permits by the 2014 Farm Bill, um, and it was it was coming along. There were a few spots in Pennsylvania that had permits, and I got to see a couple of them. One of them was at the Rodale Institute. Um, if you're not familiar with the Rodale Institute, it's uh, assume we're not. Assume we're not. Okay, so um, so the the Rodale. Family. They they were a public like, family that published magazines. Like I said before, organic gardening. They did men's health prevention, uh, bicycling. All these magazines. But their founder, J.I. Rodale, his passion was organic agriculture. Um, he's essentially credited with starting the the organic movement here in the United States back in 1947. He established uh, the Rodale Institute in um, I guess that's Berks County, Pennsylvania, not too far from here. Um, and it's this, you know, like 300 acre farm where they have been doing these side-by-side trials, you know, conventional versus organic side-by-side to, to, to see what the benefits of organics are. And it's a fantastic place. Lots of smart people doing a lot of progressive things in agriculture. Um, I was sent there to cover a field day back in the summer of 2017, um, one of their doctors was doing research about insectary strips next to, uh, you know, some kind of cucumbers or something like that. But they had they had they had a permit for hemp. It was they were one of the first of fourteen permits that that year. And there I was standing next to four acres of hemp, and it was this must have been, you know, like early August, and the hemp was tall and thick and green, and it blew my mind you know i had this vision of like oh we're doing it this is the future now we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make a make a run for it we're gonna we're gonna put this plant to work finally uh, because like i said the uh the jack harrow book had planted those seeds in my mind you know 20 odd years ago and it was so exciting so i had this this vision of the future um and i was in a really good spot you know because i was working for an agricultural newspaper and so I sort of started covering hemp a little bit for the paper. I, I ran the websites, but I would also take photos and write stories and go on assignments. So I started paying a little more attention to the hemp space. And at that point in late 2017, early 2018, you know, they, it was pretty clear that they were going to legalize hemp as a commodity crop. Um, so that summer of 2018, uh, you know, we're in this you know, the conference room at work and, you know, we're discussing ideas, how to reach new audiences. And I raise my hand. I'm like, Hey, let's do a podcast. And everyone looks at me and they're like, what, what are you talking about? You know, it's like, uh, not everyone knew what a podcast was. Um, 
But I had been listening to podcasts for years at that point. So I briefly explained to them that it's sort of like, you know, radio on demand. And they're like, well, Eric, what would this podcast be about? I'm like, well, it would be about farming, of course, but it would be, I would like to start with industrial hemp because there's not a lot of information out there for farmers about hemp. And um, by that point, I had made a few contacts. I had met Jeff Whaling, the, uh, you know, the head of the, the National Hemp Association. And, you know, I, I knew the farmer at Rodale. And so I thought I had some people to talk to. So I was given the green light. And I assumed that my podcast would first, it would be about hemp, and then I would switch to other topics. But here it is like three years later. And no, we're not switching to other topics, not on, not on the Lancaster Farming Industrial Hemp Podcast. Not yet. So yeah, I just started um, talking to people and recording the conversations. Um, I have a background in home recording. I am a musician and I've been making home recordings uh, on various types of recording equipment, you know, since the 1980s. So it was like a perfect alignment of my skill set. You know, I had an interest in farming, an interest in hemp, and I also knew how to use recording equipment. And uh, I started putting it together and it turned out pretty good, I thought. Um, and my, you know, my editor liked it. And then we started to get a little bit of you know, Buzz, um, the Modern Farmer magazine put us on a list of, you know, top 10 farming podcasts to listen to. So there was like an immediate, almost immediate sort of like buzz that let me know I was kind of on the right track. And just every week I would talk to somebody new. And it was so fascinating. Like I talked to um, like a research scientist at Ford Motor Company because I I wanted to know, like, was was Ford interested in hemp as a as a material? Turns out they were. They just couldn't get any material because it had been illegal for so long. Right. Um, so this is still 2018. The farm bill had not been signed yet. It didn't get signed into law until December. And at that point, the floodgates opened, and I was sort of caught off guard by the CBD side of things because I thought for sure, you know, we're just going to make stuff. Out of hemp. I was, that's why I was interested in, you know, the automobile industry and, you know, all the other things you could do with hemp. But yeah, CBD came along and uh, made all of these promises to a lot of farmers, especially here in Pennsylvania. Uh, and, you know, they didn't really turn out all that good. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a kind way to say that. <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of guys got burnt and I, I was really sad to see that. Um, and all of the advice that I was putting out early on was, you know, go slow, um, plant an acre, you know, figure out what to do. Don't plant anything until you have a buyer, you know, things like that. But nobody listens. So anyway, uh, what was your question? Just, I think that was it. I mean, <laughs> so how'd you get in, how, did, how did you get into this gig? And, and so really kind of then your aha moment, do you think that was that really reading Jack Harris book and then just getting exposed to it and then going out to that field day at, and then looking at, oh, look at all this big, these, all this hemp. Right. That this was thing. the aha this moment for me. Okay. Yeah. At, it was uh, in the summer of 2017 at the Rodale Institute when I was standing next to that field of hemp. Just that was it. Um, I actually shot a video and did an interview with the, um, the farmer there, the farm manager, a guy by the name of uh, Ross Duffield. Um, I think he's, he's at a, a different company now, but I shot this short little video and then my, my editor entered it, entered it into um, 
the Keystone Media Awards later that year. So I sort of inadvertently won a, uh, a journalism award for that hemp video. And I was like, oh, you'd I'd rather be lucky than good, wouldn't you? Any day of the week. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> I guess uh, it, it serves me well. I can promise you. But. Yeah, well, they say that luck favors the prepared. And uh, I think I was prepared for this. So, yeah. <laughs> That's terrific. Well, well, one of the things, the way that you and I got to meet, and and uh, one of the uh, really uh, cool things that that you uh, were able to undertake in part of this journey, which I'm glad to say that I'm living the brand right now because I've got my my um, uh, Lancaster Farming um, uh, National Hip Tour hat on and wearing it proudly. Uh, yeah, it's a good hat. You wear it well. Thank you. Well, thank you. Well, for those of us with big heads, it's it's good to have something to cover a lot. But we, um, <clears throat> the um, uh, tour, just man, tell us about. First off, how did that come into your brain that you really thought that it would be a great idea? And then, how did you talk your wife into it? Um, and um, and with the hopes now that you're home, she's still your wife, and and that uh, uh, y'all didn't. She didn't leave you on the side of the road somewhere in, in greater Kansas uh, in that whole trip. So start us on all of that. We just would love to hear more about that story. Sure. And then as you think through it, we also want to be able to talk about some things that you obviously learned a ton, but but just kind of the what you see as the industry itself uh, about kind of where it's headed, uh, particularly after interacting with people. Sure. That's a mouthful, but yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's let's give that a shot. So, um, the we ended up doing uh, about a six week tour this summer in an RV with my wife and my two daughters, ages at the time twelve and ten. Um, the idea was to travel around the country visiting um, hemp fiber and grain operations, whether they be farms or businesses or whatever. Um, I wanted to shine that light on on that side of the industry, just because after so many years of CBD this and CBD that, not that there's anything wrong with CBD. I love CBD. I, I find it very therapeutic, beneficial. I love all the cannabinoids. They are a gift from God. But really, um, part of the vision I had years ago was was you know uh, this plant becoming sort of the the basis of our manufacturing. You know, it's the raw materials for everything we need in our lives. And I think we can get there. You know, it's a big vision, uh, but we have to think big, you know, and if we can't imagine something, then we're never going to get it. So um, this idea came about last fall. So in maybe October of, of 2020, um, I had interviewed the guys at IND Hemp. Um, that they're out in Montana. They're, they, they were a, sort of a grain producer. They're getting into fiber. And um, I first came across them from an, an article. I think it was hit in Hemp Grower Magazine. They had this grasshopper issue, you know, like hundreds of acres were just chewed down by these grasshoppers. So on my podcast, I do uh, what I call the, the news nuggets, you know, little, little nuggets of hemp news. And so I reported on, on the grasshoppers in Montana. And not long after that, I was contacted by their, their brand manager, a guy by the name of Greg Necco. Right. Who's been on our show. Right. Yeah, he's great to talk to. Um, uh, yeah, wonderful human being. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. So I interviewed Greg and the, um, 
the agronomist from IND Hemp, uh, yeah. Ben Ben Brimlow. Yep. So they came on the show and, you know, we talked all about that. We talked about what they're doing out there. And, you know, Greg mentioned that uh, the, the president of the company, um, Ken Elliott, big fan of our show. He, he listens to our show all the time. Like, well, that's exciting. And so we started talking about possible sponsorship, you know, because at this point, um, as a podcast, in order for it to, you know, make my company happy, we want to be bringing in some money. And, you know, we don't have a million listeners. We don't have, have half a million listeners. You know, we have, I, and I, I look at our audience, not in terms of quantity, but in terms of quality. Right. And so to know that Ken Elliott is listening to our show, like quality listener right there. And so, um, we started talking about them sponsoring our show and they wanted to sponsor it for the entire year of 2021. And that was amazing. Like, yeah, let's do that. Okay. Um, and so what did that mean? Well, that means that they would get, uh, you know, we talk to them uh, or have their message on each show. Uh, you know, you listen to podcasts, you hear sponsor stuff. Um, but also in those conversations, one of the things that Ken said was, I would, I would like to see some of the sponsorship money get, get Eric on the road, right? And I think what he meant then was come out to Montana come out and visit what they're doing there. But sure. I heard, I heard that I'm like, yeah, on the road. Right. Cause I'm sort of a, an adventurer. Uh, I wouldn't say swashbuckler, but you know, um, I, I've, I've, I've gone on many road trips in my, my youth, youth, my early, early days, I guess. And you know, there's something so just like American about hitting the road and, and traveling. And um, it's actually something my wife and I had talked about, years ago, like before we had kids, you know, like, Hey, someday when we have kids and they're like, you know, like fourth or fifth grade, we'll, we'll, we'll get an RV and we'll travel around the country and we'll show them the, show them the country. And so here suddenly was this opportunity. It was sort of like, um, like just a manifestation of a dream somehow. Um, and so I, I put together sort of just like a loose idea of what this would be like. Uh, and I took it to my editor, Steve Sieber, another quality human being. I am so grateful that I'm surrounded by many quality human beings. And I, I honestly thought that he'd be like, yeah, that's great, Eric. But now nah, we, that's not something we can do. To my surprise, he, <laughs> he was like, hey, that's really interesting. Let me take it to Pete. Pete is, uh, is the president of Lancaster Farming. And Pete loved it. He's like, yeah, we'll get some national exposure We'll get Eric on the road. We'll grow the audience of the podcast. And so for him, it was it was a, a, a good idea. He took it to his boss. She liked it. She took it to her boss. And so all the way up the chain, everyone was very supportive. Uh, almost too supportive, right? Like, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into now? And so um, in February, we started like actually planning it. You know, we, we sought out an RV. And I started calling people up and making arrangements. And um, I am probably a little too um, improvisational. And so I didn't maybe plan it as well as, let's say, somebody like my wife would have planned it. Uh, she, she's got a little more attention to detail. I, I do, you know, I, I sort of uh, take things as they come. Uh, but I, I planned it. I had some you know, campsites set up and we rented this RV. And it was 
it was tough to get an RV back in February because uh, it seemed like, you know, it looked like, you know, the, the COVID stuff was sort of coming to an end and the summer was going to open up and people wanted to get out on the road. They didn't necessarily want to travel by bus, train or plane. So RVs were kind of hot commodities. So we were able to find this RV that in retrospect, we probably should have vetted a little, a little better than we did. Um, and it was way more RV than we needed. It was a 31 foot C class. It was, it was giant. Um, but we got it and we're like, okay, let's, let's do, let's do this. And we raised some sponsorship money, you know, from IND hemp and the national hemp association, new Holland agriculture, um, Kings agri seeds, Amerishon cast hemp, Pterodon hemp. Um, and then once we got on the road, we picked up a few more, uh, uh, sponsors of victory hemp and Bish enterprises hemp harvest works. And, uh, Rose Down, it's a company that makes oilseed presses. So we had, you know, like support from the industry. I had support from my newspaper. I uh, had support from my family. Um, and everyone was really excited about it. So uh, we, we left at the very end of June. And it was neat. We, we had this like send-off event at the Penn State Research Farm in Lancaster County. And the, um, the Pennsylvania Secretary of Agriculture Russell Redding, he was there, you know, and uh, I actually recorded a, a podcast from from that event. You can check that out at lancasterfarming.com. Uh, but um, Russell Redding is is very supportive of, of farmers in general. Um, also, you know, the hemp industry. Like our, I'm, we are so blessed here in Pennsylvania to have uh, this group of people at the Department of Ag, very supportive of the hemp industry. Um, you know, CBD, yes, but also they they get get it with fiber and grain very supportive so he was there he made a toast you know to us and uh we i sort of felt like bilbo bilbo baggins you know when he, he made that speech at his party and then he disappeared um but yeah we climbed into the rv and we we drove you know off into the sunset and then went home and packed up the rv uh and a couple days later we actually left and we got on the road and we had it was it was very ambitious. It was it was a lot um, because we had stops in I think fifteen states. Uh, you know we had we had places to go. You know, and um, it's a really big country. So once we once we were in one spot, we had to like keep going. Gotta make and, a new line, right? Yeah. So um, we started off. Um, we started off actually at the ocean because I figure if you're going to do. Uh, a national tour it's going to be sea to shining sea so we started off at um, assateague island in maryland i don't know if you know what that is but it's this sort of beautiful um seashore you know it's not developed yeah. at all it's got dunes and it's got these you know wild ponies that escaped right. from a spanish galleon in 1585 or whatever and so we we drove there we got there at like 10 o'clock at night we went to the beach and, you know, we were a, sort of a beach family. We, we loved it there. Woke up bright and early the next day. I took a quick dip in the ocean. Because if you're at the ocean, you got to jump in. Right? You got to jump in. Uh, the horses, the ponies were there. The sun came up. And and we we were on the road again by 6 a.m. We, we needed to be in Burlington, North Carolina. Hopefully by noon. It was supposed to be a six-hour drive. Uh, we were going to talk to... Um, Eric Henry at TS Designs, where it's a textile company 
that's working with local farmers. They're trying to reestablish the uh, the supply chain for textiles in North Carolina. Uh, we're about two hours away. No, actually closer than that. But we blew a tire on Interstate 85 outside of Durham. It totally threw off our whole whole thing in North Carolina. We never made it to TS Designs. We never made it to, to visit Gary Sykes down in Polkton to see his yeah. farm. Wow, um, there. Yeah, he's a good guy. Um, everybody was totally understanding. Um, but it was, I'm glad we got that out of the way on day two, um, because it turns out that all of the tires on our RV were, were, were essentially dry rotted. They were the original tires. So it was a little sketchy. Like I said, you know, you want to vet your RV a little bit more. Um, so we blew that tire, um, and it took us, uh, more than 24 hours to get back on the road. You know, we had to wait for roadside assistance. We had to then uh, convince the owners of the RV that yes, um, we needed new tires all the way around. But anyway, we got on the road by uh, like the end of the third day back on the road. Um, I know we want to talk about him, but clearly I'm going to talk about the RV for a, <laughs> another minute more. When the tire blew out, it took out some of the, like the wiring underneath. So it turns out we sort of lost some of that infrastructure of the RV, you know, like the kitchen and the, the refrigerator. So essentially we had like a great big, you know, rectangle that didn't, it, we couldn't really cook in. It was, it was challenging on so many levels for my family to live in this RV, but these things build character, right? right. So anyway, from North Carolina, we, we drove to Kentucky. Uh, we did stop in Dollywood for the 4th of July. Um, Dolly Parton wasn't there, but we did see some fireworks, which yeah. was great. Um, but in Kentucky, we we went and visited. So you saw a pocket. We saw where you could get a pocket knife. We saw where you could get pancakes. We saw where you could uh, get way more than that than you did in, in Gatlinburg, right? Or in that greater whole area. <clears throat> All the pocket knives and pancakes you could ever want, <clears throat> no matter where you go, you'll find them. Uh, yeah. Right. Yep. From uh, anyway, <laughs> so, so on to Kentucky. So on the Kentucky, we, um, we, we went to Hempwood in Murray, Kentucky, and we caught up with Greg Wilson. And I like to, to go sort of in, in, I don't like to do a lot of backtracking, but in this case, Greg was like, I'm only going to be there on July 5th. After that, I'm going to a flooring show in Florida. So if you want to see me, you got to come on the 5th. Cause I, I wanted to go to victory hemp first and then down to Murray, but whatever, we did a little backtracking. Greg was amazing, very just a kind and wonderful man, gave us the tour. Um, I set up my mobile podcasting rig, did an interview with Greg, and also his mentor from the uh, from Murray State University, uh, Dr. Tony Brannon, the so-called Dean of Hemp in Kentucky. He met us there too. He took us out to the, uh, the Murray State Research Farm, and uh, we got to see a great big stand of hemp, conducted interviews. Um, and then we went to Victory Hemp up in Carrollton, Kentucky, which I guess that's sort of like on the, the northeast end of that, right by the Ohio River. Um, we met up with uh, Chad Rosen. We got the tour of the, of the Victory Hemp factory there. Because basically, I wanted to go out and see the hemp industry with my own two eyes. So I've been covering um, hemp from you know, my little home studio here over Zoom, talking to people. But I wanted to see it with my own eyes. I'm a journalist, I'm a storyteller, and you know, I want to be, you know, like a, a witness to this. Because a story 
like this never happens, right? The, to see an industry with so much potential to sort of like rise out of nothing, you know, and it's this classic redemption story, right? It was this sure. crop that was outlawed and vilified. And then, you know, here it is, and it could potentially save us all. So I wanted to see that with my own two eyes. And in Kentucky, you know, that's, it's happening there in Kentucky. Uh, from Kentucky, we, we um, made a beeline for Kansas because there was an open house at the South Bend uh, Industrial Hemp at their farm, a uh, family by the name of uh, Baldwin, right? Um, Aaron Rich and Melissa Baldwin. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so yeah, they have a, a bunch of hemp growing there. They also um, recently purchased a decorticator from uh, Formation Ag in Colorado. So they are establishing, you know, their own sort of like local network. So they're growing hemp, they're processing it. And now their local farmers who are, you know, they're, they're crop farmers are growing uh, corn and soy. Now they're thinking, oh, I can add hemp into my rotation and have somewhere to take it. I can have somebody buy it. And so it's amazing to see like that supply chain develop right before my very eyes. Right. And, you know, so we get out there to Kansas. We did have a little plumbing issue on the way there. We, uh, we spent the night near Lawrence, Kansas. And we came back to the RV after dinner to, to see just like gushing water everywhere. I guess when the tire blew, it also loosened up some plumbing. Uh, and so one of the, uh, the fittings on the hot water here snapped and we just like our whole tank just like flooded. Wow. So that was fun. So I called every plumber in Lawrence, Kansas that next morning. And uh, the folks at Castle Plumbing, they took care of us. So hats off to those guys. Um, Anyway, so we get to, to South Bend, Kansas, and they had this event. You know, there's like 100 people there or more. They had educational speakers. They had lots of different hemp businesses, people from all over. I think they said they had people from 10 different states there, California, um, Nebraska. And uh, we ran into uh, the Bish Brothers. You familiar with Bish Enterprises? Very much. Works? Yeah, and Andrew Bish and his brother... Um, Jacob, they were there. They were just passing through. They were on their way to Texas. And um, we ended up seeing them several times over the course of the summer and sort of became you know, pretty good friends with them over the course of the summer. Uh, so, so Kansas. All right, from Kansas, I know we have uh, a lot to cover. So we'll try to just like cut out you're the halfway through the country and you're not home. That's right. <laughs> we're not even halfway yet. No. Uh, so that was the first, that was Kansas was our essentially our third stop, you know, because we missed the first two in North Carolina. From Kansas, we went to the Rockies. Uh, we, we stayed in, in Boulder. That was sort of our, uh, we took a couple of days uh, off there. My, my wife, um, she's an editor-in-chief of a magazine. So she was working the whole time from the road, trying to like, you know, uh, close a magazine and, and manage her staff and all that. So God bless her. She is just an amazing woman who, uh, put up with, a, you know, a lot of just nonsense on this trip. Uh, my kids at, you know, two weeks in, my youngest was like, dad, this is the worst vacation ever. I'm like, well, that's where you're wrong, kiddo. This is not a vacation. This is a work trip. So get back to work. Anyway, so we, we uh, spent a few days in Boulder. And from there, I went up to Fort Collins and I, I'm caught up with uh, Morris Beagle. He's the founder of WAFPA. We are for better alternatives. Right. Yeah. And um, I, I went to his house and he's like, 
you are now among the, the world's largest collection of hemp guitars, which, you know, I'm a guitar player, so I found that fascinating. So uh, I interviewed him, talked about uh, the, the NOCO Hemp Expo and also the Southern Hemp Expo, which just was last week down there in Raleigh. Um, after I talked to Morris, I went across town to New West Genetics, where I talked to Wendy Mosher. She's mm-hmm. the president and CEO there, and she told me all about what they're doing there in in fiber and grain genetics. And, you know, she's um, very hopeful that, I, I think she said something like by 2028, we, we could have, I forget the number she said, but millions of acres of, of grain hemp growing here in the U.S., um, which, yeah, that's music to my ears. After New West Genetics, we uh, traveled down the Front Range south to the San Luis Valley, uh, to the, the town of Monta Vista, Colorado, which I understand it was named Monta Vista because it, it's surrounded by, you know, a, a view of the mountains, 360 degree view of the mountains, which were completely shrouded in um, forest fire smoke. So we couldn't see them. Um, and that sort of like brings me to another point about my interest in hemp. Uh, it's about climate change for me, right? Because we can, like if grown on a, a large enough scale, we can sequester a lot of carbon, right? And I, I'm not sure that uh, it's even on, uh, you know, part of the toolbox for, you know, the, the federal response to climate change. Not that there's been much of a federal response to climate change, uh, but that that stuff is real. Um, I know there's a lot of people like, oh, it's a hoax. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I do know it's not a hoax. It's 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 real. And I, I'm really concerned about the world that my kids are going to in- inherit and their kids and, and, uh, yeah, it's tough. So that's that informs the work that I'm doing uh, because, you know, like they say, like in 20 years when your grandkids are like, you know, Papa, what did you do about climate change? This, this is what I'm doing about climate change. I'm trying to tell stories and educate people and trying to change hearts and minds and sort of help this industry along. Because your, farmers- your mother didn't help as she was complaining on the trip about why we were doing it, but she made it through that. That's what you would no, say. No, she... she... <laughs> you know, look, mine would be freaking out. No, I can tell you exactly that. Right. It's awful, you know. I hear you know. They're sweet girls. I was glad to meet them. Yeah, yeah. So so there, we're down there in, uh, in Monte Vista, and those guys at, at Formation Ag, uh, just, just amazing, like, salt-of-the-earth people. Um, not only do they, like, you know, design and build this amazing equipment, like decorticators. You know, I saw... Uh, a decorticator right there. You know, I've only heard about it. I didn't see the one in Kansas. It was on a, a different location, but there in Colorado, I saw it. I saw it happening. I saw the, the big bales going in and then it separating the fiber from the herd. And it was amazing. And Corbett Hefner, uh, he's, he, he's like classic American, you know, uh, what's the word? Like innovator, you know? Right. Um, and and not only that, like he was like, oh, because I was trying to find a place to get my oil changed in the RV because, you know, we had just driven like 4,000 miles. <laughs> Couldn't find anybody. Uh, he's like, oh, just pull it in the shop. There's a Napa parts place across the street. Go get your oil and your filter. And he had his guys change our oil. So amazing. So thank you, Corbett, if you're listening. Uh, so interviewed those guys there, Randy Wright and Corbett Hefner. And uh they, and then we, from there, we, we were headed to Mesa Verde. We were going to take uh, a little bit of time and do, uh, you know, some uh, national parks. We wanted to go to Mesa Verde. Um, 
and at that point, we weren't sure which direction we were going to go. Um, whether we would, we would, because uh, the forest fires, like if you looked at the map in, in early July, you know, California was on fire. Oregon was on fire. They're still on fire. Those things are still burning. Um, and so we weren't sure if maybe we would like head back to straight to, to, to Montana or if we would, anyway, we did decide that we would sort of risk it and we would, we would go to Mesa Verde and then to Moab, check out Arches. And then from Arches, we would make a beeline up through Utah, across Nevada, uh, through Northern California, because we had an offer to stay in a little town called Fieldbrook, right where the, the redwoods meet the Pacific Ocean. Oh, and, yeah. And we got to stay in a yurt. And so, you know, it was tough on my family, but there was enough little things like this along the way that, you know, we, we did get to spend a couple of days up there with some really wonderful people. Um, we, we got to see the redwoods. You know, I had seen them before. My wife had seen them before, but my kids had not. And uh, that was that was great. But one of the sort of a, a sad thing that happened while we were in the redwoods was that our, our cat at home died. My nephew, who was watching our house, oh, was, yeah. He, uh, but we 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 felt like you know only halfway through the trip we couldn't tell my kids about Daisy's you know premature death because that would just it'd be too sad for them to like not be home and be away. Right. So we decided at that point not to tell them. So it was a little rough, but there were these moments of like, what do they call that in uh, mm, like dramatic irony, you know, where my daughter's talking about the thing she's going to do with the cat when we get home. And, you know, I'm like, sorry, kiddo, that's not going to happen. But anyway, that's uh, getting off track. So from California, we went up to uh, Oregon and Washington, uh, where we met up with Greg Necco and his wife, uh, Tanya Farman, they they have a couple of hemp businesses apart from you know working with IND Hemp. Right. Um, they have Queen of Hearts Hemp. Uh, they make this delicious like salad dressing and these other foods. So um, visited with them. Um, they have a, a company called um, Hemp Northwest, sort of a, a, a grain processing uh, company there too. So did interviews with them, and Greg was great. He he. Uh, it just made us just feel just totally at home. He he took us up for the day to Mount Hood. We got to see a you know a volcano with a glacier on it. So it was middle of July and we're having a snowball fight. So like just the little things for my my kids, my family. Sure. That, They'll never yeah, forget it. Never forget. Uh, but that part of the country, uh, you know, uh, Mount Hood, Hood River, and then east. Greg took us east to out near Pendleton, where. Um, he introduced us to uh, a, a young couple, John Green and Marissa um, Bumgardner. Uh, she is from the Umatilla Indian Reservation, and they are trialing hemp on, on some property off the reservation where they're also going to be building a timber frame house uh, with hemp creek, right? So I, I sat down with them, interviewed them, heard all about um, the, the, the reservation and how the, the tribal elders um, have outlawed growing industrial hemp, even though it, it's, it is legal to grow in Oregon, but not on the reservation because of the association with, uh, with drugs. And so what uh, these two are trying to do is show them the, the, the beneficial nature of hemp and, you know, the grain and the fiber. Uh, so that was great. And then Greg took us to another farm um, near Walla Walla, Washington. And this was you know, I guess this is called the, the Palouse, this area of 
of Washington. It's where it's like some of the most fertile um, grain production country in, in the country. And it was just, you know, just this totally foreign landscape to me. Just all these like golden hills and it was amazing. And then right in the middle of it was this 90 acre stand of fiber, I guess it was grain hemp, you know, bright green sort of juxtaposed to this, uh, you know, golden color of the other grains are growing there. Uh, so yeah, it's a whirlwind trip. So right now, I guess uh, we're about halfway through, we're on our way to Montana, saw some forest fires. Uh, but by the, I guess the last, second to last week of July, we, we landed in Fort Benton, Montana, home of IND Hemp, where um, they sort of rolled out the red carpet for us, if you will. And they, um, they put together what hopefully is going to be an annual event. You know, it turned out to be this amazing summit of what Ken Elliott called the movers and shakers of the fiber and grain side of the industry. And uh, they did. They had this big day planned, not just for me. Uh, they brought everybody out, you know. Um, some of the folks that we had seen on tour, you know, um, Chad Rosen from Victory Hemp and uh, Ben Raymond, his food scientist, they were there. And, I mean, you were there. You you know um, how amazing. Hat. Yeah, you, you got my hats, right. Yeah, I gave hats out wherever I went, you know, T-shirts and hats. Uh, because again, my company was very supportive of us and, you know, we did raise sponsorship money. So, uh, we wanted to make a, a splash, you know, cause we're a little Lancaster farming, you know, it's like, we're small, we're a small newspaper. We've got a circulation of 65,000, but again, it's, it comes back to, uh, quality over quantity. You know, we Lancaster farming touches farm families, you know, all over. So part of my job as, you know, the guy on the, the hemp podcast is to, also remind farmers here in Pennsylvania and the Northeast that um, hemp isn't just CBD. You know, a lot of people got burnt by it, uh, but that the fiber and grain side, it's coming. It's a slow burn. Hang in there with us because we can't do this without farmers. So that's part of my mission. So we get to, we get to Fort Benton, Montana and wow, it was, it was great. Um, the Elliott family, they, they invited us into their home. Um, there was the night before the summit, there was sort of like an informal get together. People were grilling and uh, telling stories. And then the day of, of the summit, they took us all out to some hemp fields. We saw um, one, one field that was not irrigated. It was, it was a, a grain variety, several grain varieties was being eaten by, by uh, grasshoppers. Uh, but these are the realities of farming, you know, in, in Montana. And then they took us to an, another great big field under irrigation, you know, this big, thick stand of fiber hemp. And then we all went back to, um, I guess it's the Fort Benton Agricultural Museum right there in, in downtown Fort Benton. And the industry just proceeded to just hash it out, you know, talk about the issues, the challenges, the opportunities, like the way forward. And, um, you know, I, I came away from that with a, a few takeaways. You know, one is that um, we got to educate the regulators because they still think they're they're talking about CBD and cannabinoids. Um, the guys from Victory Hemp were were pretty clear. They're like, we're we're making food. We're not making edibles. You know, such a sort of poignant comment. Um, Jeff Whaling from the National Hemp Association he points out that uh, the hemp industry has an identity crisis. You know, like we're all in there and we think it's this big big thing like that. It's a big industry, but 
no, in the grand scheme, it's a tiny industry. So he, he added that, you know, sort of like to give us some perspective. You know, we got to remember that not nearly as, as, as big as we think we are. Also good advice for me as a podcaster, because, you know, I think my podcast is, you know, the, the biggest hemp podcast in the world, but not yet. It's still, anyway, off topic there. Um, other things that came out of that meeting, uh, it was just this sense of, uh, well, they called it coopetition. You know, it's like, um, the people at this summit, a lot of them technically are competitors. They're all in the space where it's sort of, you know, uh, in traditional capitalism, they're, they're working sort of against each other, but, uh, this industry is, it's so important and it's so small and it's still the beginning that people have to work together. And the Elliot's uh, at IndyHemp, they're leading by example. You know, they're like, come here, come tour our facilities. We have nothing to hide. Ask us anything you want because um, we have to make this industry succeed. And just to hear that, um, it's, you know, it just, it just fills me with uh, you know, pride and joy. And um, yeah, it's sort of part of this like paradigm shift that I hope is coming. You know, it's, Hemp is part of the paradigm shift, but also this sort of um, different attitude towards business, towards, uh, you know, because it's not all about profits, right? It's, it's got to be about people and it's got to be about the planet. And um, they're, they're, they're walking the walk and talking the talk or whatever that expression is. Uh, so it was, it was great to be there. Um, and yeah, I... I assumed that I would like set up my little recording studio and I would pull people in one at a time and interview them there in Montana. Right. I would have, I would have content for the rest of the year. But once it, it started to happen, I could see what was happening that, you know, obviously this wasn't about me or my podcast. I just had to get out of the way. I was like the fly on the wall and I just, I witnessed it. You know, I saw, I saw this stuff happening, the challenges, the opportunities, and it was incredible. Um, I think something really historic transpired that day. And, uh, yeah. Um, and so now, um, now that I've met, you know, all those people, I am going to try to reconstruct that day on our podcast. So I'm, I'm going, I'm interviewing people sort of one by one, asking them to tell me their experience from that day. And then what I intend to do is put that together in, in a podcast episode that tells the story of that first Montana hemp summit from the perspective, you know, of many, many voices. So uh, that's quite an undertaking. I don't know when that's going to be done, but um, that's my plan. From Montana, we, we, you know, we're not home yet. Um, however much my family wanted to be home after that, so we, we still so we have to hit the gas pedal a little bit now because we're going to, we're, oh, we're coming up on, on the end. So All right. So, so from there, we went to um, South Dakota. We saw a, a hempcrete recording studio in Rapid City. Uh, we stopped at the Badlands and told the kids the bad news about the cat, which if you've ever been to the Badlands, that's the, perfect that, place. That's the place to mourn. Uh, from there, we, we went to um, Horizon Hemp Seeds, so one of their grows in, in South Dakota. Uh, from there, we went to the uh, University of Nebraska in Lincoln. And then our very last stop was in Western Pennsylvania at the Project PA Hemp Home, where... Um, it's a, a project partially funded by the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture, but it's being um, led by a group called Don Enterprises, an amazing uh, organization that works with uh, disabled people in the community. 
And they are, you know, they provide housing for people with disabilities. And what they want to do is grow hemp locally and make the houses locally from the locally grown hemp and give these houses to people in, in need. Really just a fantastic story. So um, that was our last stop. It felt good to be back in Pennsylvania. And then, boom, we drove across the turnpike and made it home. And uh, yeah, now we're all in therapy. Um, <laughs> but it was a whirlwind trip and we learned so much about the industry and about sort of like, well, ourselves, obviously, and the country. And I hope it's something that my kids never forget. They will. Yeah. And they I think they've... My kids are all older than that. And I'll just tell you a quick sidebar on that is some of our best trips that we that we have taken were those that I would not tell them where we were going. Uh, and I just say, get in the car and we're going to go see some stuff. And yeah. we would go see some stuff and we'd see some weird stuff and we'd see some funny stuff and we'd see some goofy stuff. And then, you know, I, I left them on the side of the road about four times, you know, during the trip or wanted to anyway. And, but, but it ended up being, a, it was, it's, they, they never forget that. Good. Okay, they right. still talk about it. Yeah. Oldest son's 26 years old, still talks about it. Oh, Plus, the other thing that your daughters probably may not be aware, they have a whole year's worth of material for composition to do stuff. Right. English and other things like that about, <laughs> how was your summer? Well, well let they, me tell you. <laughs> they can one stretch of, that out for years. So that'd be good. One of the things I'm really grateful for is, well, so everywhere we went, we were just sort of like enveloped in kindness, you know, whether it was when we had breakdowns or, you know, when we went to, you know, the scheduled stops, we were just received in kindness by essentially strangers, right? And so my kids saw that yeah. and it was just a really good example. And so I'm grateful for that. But yeah, everywhere we went, we were, we were uh, received with kindness and uh, it was fantastic. Love it. Love it. Hey, yeah. look, we want to see if we can get any questions. Um, uh, from anybody there, we'll 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 check that out and 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 see if there are some specific things that uh, any of our folks may want to ask about. So go ahead and punch those in uh, into the chat box um, um, uh, if that's the case. So uh, going forward, then Eric, do you think uh, is it even too early or dangerous to say that you might make another run sometime or another in a free, very much checked out vehicle uh, RV that that um, you might make the southern swing. We don't have as much going on as that that northern swing, but there's a whole lot of southern swing of, of things that are going on, and um, uh, we'd love for you to make a stop uh, uh, this direction. Yeah, I would like to. You know, when I was um, trying to plan the tour, I did reach out to some folks in uh, Alabama and Texas because there are some there's some stuff happening there. Right. Um, never heard back from those folks. So, okay. I, um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely wouldn't do it the same way i think if we were to do it it would be like to go like maybe fly to a region and then tour locally in that region you get more yeah can get more done in that sense um because the issue with this big tour was that our stops were very far apart and so there was just a whole lot of driving i put ten thousand miles on that thing um, yeah. And so, yeah, I would love to do that again. You know, I'd like to go down and down into the South. I would love to go up to the Great Lakes region, California. You know, I could spend time in just that Central Valley. There's all kinds of amazing things happening there. Um, so, yeah, I think um, there's definitely interest from industry of, of my doing that again. There is some interest from uh, Lancaster Farming to do that. Uh, but it's also sort of opened the door for 
other folks on my editorial team to sort of do things like this, you know, because now like, oh, um, like our one of our, our writers could go down to Virginia and do a tour of agriculture down there. And it's just going to be, you know, like a, a new way to to reach our, you know, constituents or whatever. So, yeah, I hope to get back on the road again. And I would love to come down south and then uh, check out what y'all are doing down there. There you go. Well, give us all of the good information for those that are not listening to your podcast. Uh, uh, remind us where they can find that, as well as the name and all that, as well as connecting back with you and the good folks at Lancaster Farm. Sure. Okay, so the podcast is called Lancaster Farming Industrial Hemp Podcast. All of the clever names were taken, so I just went with that one. Um Usually, and then we're on you know most podcast platforms. If you just search hemp, there's a good chance we'll come up in the, the top five. But uh, search Lancaster Farming, you'll find us. Um, you can also listen to all of our episodes at LancasterFarming.com. I know a lot of folks out there will say Lancaster. So um, you can go to Lancaster.com as well. Uh, you know, I'm a local, so I say Lancaster. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, we're on the platforms. We're on, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, all those things. So wherever you get your podcasts, if you're not, if you don't find us on your favorite podcast app, send me an email and I'll, we'll get you on there. Um, you can always get in touch with me at podcast at lancasterfarming.com. That's my email address. Send it right to me. Always looking uh, to talk to people about hemp. I love talking to people about hemp. Um, yeah. And I, I sort of like, try to see, well, I see myself as a resource. You know, I don't, I'm not an expert by any means. I'm not a farmer. I'm not a producer. I'm just a, you know, a sort of storyteller who um, has a home studio who loves talking about hemp and who wants to see this industry succeed. And, you know, because I, I think farmers can save the world and I want to do everything in my power to, to help them do that. Couldn't think of a better way to end our time together. So Eric Carlock, uh, Thank you so much for, for, for taking some time with us to, to, to share about your insights of what's going on in the hemp industry. Next week, uh, come back uh, live. We have our monthly legal update with the Bradley uh, law firm, a cannabis group that are giving us all the good insights of things we need to know about uh, or things we need to make sure we don't do, and as well as things that we need to make sure we do, uh, which we a uh, good counsel that we're, that we're getting from our, from our legal team. So until that time, until we're all again, thanks so much. Eric, I appreciate it. Thank you, Nick. Take care. Okay. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.